Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM in the AM. Rabbi Daniel Glatstein was with us recently to discuss an important charity campaign. Rabbi Daniel Glatstein, a recent guest on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein has been with us before. He's an amazing author. He's an incredible Magid Shear. And based on the statistics, he is one of the most popular Magid Shear in the world. Um, it is amazing uh, to see just how many people in so many different countries and on so many different platforms are listening and watching as he delivers Shiurim. And I was made aware yesterday of a very important charity campaign that's going to be happening starting on May the 28th. The reality is it started already. You can give right now, and we'll give you the address. Um, but it's a very important charity campaign, charity.com slash MMH, to benefit the Machon Magid Harakia. Machon Magid Harakia. Um, what is the Machon Magid Harakia? What is Rabbi Gladstein's goal? We're going to find out right now. Rabbi Daniel, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, a pleasure and an honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Uh, the honor is mine, Rabbi Nachum. Uh, over the years, you've been the voice of so many important causes, so it's an honor to have the opportunity for you to, to share this cause with the greater public. I will ask you the I appreciate that very much, by the way. I will ask you the most embarrassing question ever. <laughs> Why is it that you're this popular around the world? <laughs> what is it? What's the secret sauce? What's the X factor of my Gladstein? How is it that you made and you made an impact? And 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 you can give us the humble answer. You don't have to, you don't have to give us anything that uh, that would embarrass you. You can just tell us the reality of why what you're doing well, is, is is touching so many hearts. What can I say? You know, uh, the Jewish soul thirsts for Tyra. So when you give them Tyra, they uh, they respond. You know, when someone's hungry, they want they want uh, achila. <laughs> they yeah. want to eat and. Um, now more than ever, we live in a, a society devoid of real meaning. And when you provide a Jew with Torah, they respond. Yeah. So, uh, one of the best, one of the best answers I've ever heard. And I think not, you're, it's not a new recipe. Yeah, and I think you're a hundred percent right. Uh, okay. So, so many of us are familiar with the fact that you're an amazing author and we've enjoyed your books and kudos to art scroll and everybody there. And that, uh, you're a great Magid Shear and there are a lot of platforms, including Torah anytime and others where people can enjoy what you're offering to people around the world. So with that in mind and with all that in place already, what are we trying to accomplish? with Mahon Magid Harakia. Well, look, the Shurim have gotten out through various platforms, as, as you mentioned, but really we need a headquarters. And there are two dimensions to this. It's a kahila, it's a shul, it's a community shul. And what's unique about this community shul is, and and I do feel that Hashem has given us um, really siyata deshmaya because we try, we try that the home base and the headquarters should be operate uh, a Principles of Torah. In other words, we phenomenon in our show. We're losing reception. A drop, Rabbi Glatzin. Maybe it's maybe it's where you're standing. Just repeat that. Repeat the. Um. Yeah, I see. I think what's unique. What's unique about our Makaim Tyrant is we operate according to all the right guidelines. A very unique phenomenon. We have no talking in our shul. We're, we're careful that during the time of tefillah, there are no cell phones that are even brought into the Beis HaKnesses. So we try to make it a, uh, a makam which is conducive for Hashem's Shrina to come. And uh, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there, like Hillel would say, when God is uh, present, 
then uh, everything is successful. So th- that's on the uh, as a home base for the community, for the Five Towns community, for the Cedarhurst community. But through the um, through the systems of technology, which is a tool that Hashem has given us in our generation that has been able to disseminate Torah in an unprecedented way. You know, we think about 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, and that was an amazing number uh, 1,800 years ago. But yeah. today, through technology, as, as I'm sure many thousand people are listening to your broadcast, we harness that tool to bring Torah to really record numbers. It's, you know... Who are we to 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 merit such really siyata uh, deshmaya? But uh, we have the tool, and if we have it, we have to use it. And uh, really, there are Jews everywhere. It's it's amazing, you know. There's a one a particular individual who reached out to me from northeast India, from <laughs> the B'nai Menashe tribe. He's recently made Aliyah together with many uh, members of his tribe. And that's just like one isolated incident of a Jew in the far ends of the world who you could reach today through uh, technology. If data uh-huh. and if data and numbers drives people, especially when they're looking to support a cause, you could safely say that if you reach your goal, Machon um, Magid uh, is going to be able to reach even more people. Some may find that hard to believe because they know the numbers that you're already reaching, but I'm assuming that, that the goal is to include and to reach out and bring in as many people around the world as possible through this project. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a very large world, but through technology, it's a very small world. From your own Dalet Amos, you really could connect with and unify all segments of Klal Yisrael. You know, it's amazing. It used to be, if you were Hasidah Sharav, so you would influence your Hasidim. If you were Svati, uh, so you... But today, you can connect with all segments of the Jewish people, yeah. all age brackets, and uh, in all countries. It's... Uh, it's really a remarkable gift and uh, an opportunity. Sometimes we have to be reminded about what, about what unites us. And uh, it, it's so funny you mention it. I, I, I listen to words of Torah from people I would never have had access to years ago. And now they represent, you know, quote unquote, other communities or communities that are different than the Ashkenazi community that I come from. And I'm able to enjoy them on a daily basis. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and just the fact that you're mentioning it actually opens up my eyes to it because sometimes you're doing something you don't even realize you're doing it. And I'm sure people are tuning in from around the world to what you're doing and they just don't understand how significant it is and how remarkable and miraculous it is uh, that it's able to take yeah. place uh, during this time. Just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and the, the types of svarim right. that people are interested in, you know, I enjoy teaching from the svarim of the chida. And it's interesting, you know, this this shul, if I may say, sure. uh, is going to be named after my grandfather, who is really, I think we may have discussed, he was a legendary uh, individual, was a Holocaust survivor. And after the Holocaust, uh, he was a Polish uh, survivor, but, but he had learned English before the war. And when he was... Uh, Liberated, the American Army made him the head of the Joint Distribution Community, the Religious Department. Right. And in that capacity, he helped all the survivors uh, rebuild their life. He brought in fill-in mezuzahs, vice in the DP camps. He built yeshivas for them, and he helped these survivors rebuild their life. And now we try just to take it to the next level and to continue. His holy work. He passed away this year at 106 years old. Wow! So he had a long storied rabbinic career and uh he he touched the lives of jews of all 
all the entire spectrum of Judaism. And uh, I think his merit is really standing up for us and uh, to allow us to, to have success in, in Harbatzah's Torah. What was your grandfather's full name in English, Rabbi? His name was Rabbi Mordechai Leib Gladstein. Wow. He was a rabbi in Pittsburgh for uh, only 70 years. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely incredible. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. All right, uh, let's get down to the uh, practical aspect of all this. Go to charity.com. That's with a D, as you know. That's how charity works. C-H-A-R-I-D-Y.com slash M-M-H. That's Machon Magid Harakia. Uh, they have a $1 million goal. It goes until the 31st of uh, of uh, of May that means it goes through Rosh Chodesh Sivan and the reason I say it like that even though it hasn't officially started is because you can give right now you can give right now even though it hasn't officially started it really has started for all practical purposes uh, because you can give right now and help them build the future their Kahila and this worldwide incredible vision that Rabbi Gladstein has uh, more information on his website you can see what he's doing at RabbiDG.com RabbiDG.com but right now we're focused on the charity campaign and hoping that before Shabbos and if not then after Shabbos uh, everybody out there tosses in a few dollars, uh, whether you become a friend of the Machon or sponsor a week of learning or even become a founder or a master builder, which are uh, uh, bigger numbers, but something that will obviously uh, go a long way in terms of building Machon Magid Harakia. So it's a $1 million campaign. It's a charity campaign. I hope our listeners will respond. Charity.com slash MMH. Charity.com slash MMH. And Rabbi Gladstein, I'm sure you agree. It's never too early to give, even though it hasn't officially no, started. No, it's no. We, we've thought about it, and we've decided that we will accept early <laughs> donations you know <laughs> that's very kind of you even yeah. though we're, even though we're still a chunk of time away <laughs> from the entire no but it, you know it's officially launched Matsai Shabbos right. but the truth is I got it is amazing I got a whatsapp message from a friend of mine in Australia and they have a team paid charity and they said we're so honored to do this because we know we get out of Shabbos before anybody else, so we're gonna we're gonna start the campaign immediately, so that when you guys in America come out of Shabbos, you're gonna get chizuk because we've already started collecting. That so, is great. So that in reality, it has started. You know. <laughs> All right. So now I feel even better. I have comrades on my side who are ready all the way from yeah. Australia to say, let's get this thing going. All right, everybody, you know the address, charity.com slash MMH. Rabbi Gladstein's doing amazing work, and you get an opportunity to really get to help him get to the next level. Charity.com slash MMH. Rabbi Gladstein, I take this opportunity to wish you chazak. After all, for us in the diaspora, it's Shabbos chazak. So I'll wish you chazak yeah. via Mats and the best of luck, and I hope the campaign goes really, really well. Thank you. Uh, we feel Chizuk Rav because you gave us this opportunity, as always, and uh, continue your great work, and uh, all the best to you and uh, all your listeners. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. I much appreciate that. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, everybody, wishing him the best of luck with an amazing effort. More coming up. You're listening to a Friday morning Erev Shabbos, Erev Yom Yerushalayim. That's right. Sunday's Yom Yerushalayim. That was my conversation with Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. Shani Heikind and Daniel Luria were with us recently to discuss the upcoming Ateret Karnim dinner. Shani Heikind and Daniel Luria, Ateret Karnim dinner happening on June the 1st. Here they are on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. <laughs> Yosef Chaim with a song called Yerushalayim, and boy, oh boy. 
I can't think of a better intro for our special guests who are with us live via telephone. Many of you are aware of the fact that Yom Yerushalayim is right around the corner. Many of you are aware of the fact that if you can't make it to Yom Yerushalayim in Israel this coming Sunday, we have an amazing and incredible way to celebrate Yom Yerushalayim right here in Queens, New York. It is the American Friends of Ateret Kwanim, Jerusalem Chai, that invites you to their annual Yom Yerushalayim dinner happening on Wednesday, June the 1st. It's coming Wednesday at Terrace on the Park in Queens. The reception at 6, the program at 7.15. Guest speaker will be the Honorable Mike Pompeo, the former United States Secretary of State. Lots of great honorees who no doubt we will mention in this conversation. And reservations uh, are easily taken. You can easily get your reservations in for June the 1st for this coming Wednesday at the following address, ataratkonim.org slash dinner, ataratkonim.org slash dinner. The um, two special guests we have with us live via telephone are on two different sides of the world, believe it or not, (laughs) which is always amazing. Uh, The Executive Vice President and International Spokesman for Aterit Kaunim is Daniel Luria, and the Executive Vice President of the American Friends of Aterit Kaunim is uh, uh, Shani Hyken. They are both with us live via telephone. Shani, good morning to you. Good morning, Nachum. Boker Tov. And Daniel, good morning or good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. Shalom, shalom from the heart of Yerushalayim to everyone. Amazing that we're all connected, and I'm glad we are. Um, all right, I, I, Shani, I guess we'll begin with uh, what's happening here on June the 1st. If someone can't make the Yom Yerushalayim celebration in Jerusalem, we have an amazing substitute, an incredible way to celebrate right here in New York City. That's, of course, at Terrace in the Park this coming Wednesday night. What can you tell us about the Yom Yerushalayim dinner that Atarat Kohanim, American Friends of Atarat Kohanim, has this coming Wednesday? Wednesday. Well, this is the place to be on Wednesday night, June 1st. We invite everyone listening to your program, Nachum, and that's a lot of listeners, <laughs> to join us at Terrace on the Park for a very festive, meaningful celebration of Yom Yerushalayim. And before anything else, uh, Nachum, I want to give you a Yasher Koach. Like the Jewish people, you came back from adversity, and you rebuilt, or you're rebuilding, and you are uh, you can't keep a good man down. You can't keep <laughs> the good news down in Yerushalayim, in Malayazesim, or Kidmatzion, or the heart of the old city, or Yemeni village, and you can't keep Nachem down. So, um, you know, Yasher Koach to you, Nachem, and uh, we're delighted to be with you this morning. Thank you very much. We have a wonderful program Um you know, many of your listeners will recognize the name, uh, the names of Mel and Mildred Wadler sure. of Shalom of Far Rockaway and then yeah. Hillcrest, and we are honoring their memory as uh, among the beloved founders of American Friends of Aterrod Kohanim. We have a fabulous couple from Woodmere, Dr. Jean and Paulina Berkovich, so well regarded, so well respected in the community. And uh, they are among our Bonet Yushalayim honorees, together with a delightful uh, young woman, Michal Harris, an attorney from Flatbush, uh, Josh Nass, a terrific spokesman for Amya Sorel from Charleston, South Carolina, and a delightful young lady, Amelie Hesching from Silver Spring, Maryland, who used the occasion of her bat mitzvah to raise money for the nursery in Beit Rachel in Yemenite village. Can you imagine a young lady, 12 years old, but she had the feeling to, to know, the feeling to want to use the occasion of her bat mitzvah to say, 
I'm, I am with the children of Yemenite village. I want to help them. And thanks to her efforts, her family, among whom are, are my, our colleagues, our wonderful colleague, Chaim and, uh, Liebtag, Chaim and Sheila Liebtag are Amelie's, uh, grandparents and, Baruch Hashem, we have a beautiful nursery in Yemenite village in the Shiloach. Of course, right across from this beautifully painted nursery on the outside, the children have to stare at ugly graffiti. Who knows what it says? Death to the Jews. You know, get, get out of Palestine, whatever they write on the wall that's, that's hurtful. But you know, we believe in what we do. Our honorees, are with us because they understand that to keep Jerusalem Jerusalem united, you have to have Jews living all over our sovereign capital. Oh, no question about that. And again, I remind everybody that this coming Wednesday night, Terrace in the Park, in addition to the honorees, Mike Pompeo is the guest speaker, and the phone, or I should say the uh, web address, the easiest way to get your reservations in is org slash dinner, org slash dinner. You know, Shani, you just uh, touched on the... Uh, uh, on some of the neighborhoods that uh, Tarek Kornim focuses on, Yemenite Village, Kidmat Zion, Tim, And Daniel Luria, uh, as we get closer to Yom Yerushalayim and people are thinking of celebration, as we hear about more and more people who are heading to Israel to be in Yerushalayim for Yom Yerushalayim and Shavuot and to celebrate and to uh, enjoy all the wonderful things 55 years later because it was a very different circumstance 55 years ago. Can you tell us, Daniel Luria, about the challenges that families have pioneering families have when they are residents of the Yemenite village and Kidmat Zion, for instance, because we always, or many of us, of course, focus on the fact that life is so wonderful and free and easy to live in the city of Jerusalem, but there are areas that are a great challenge. There's no question that there are some uh, communities in the heart of Jerusalem that uh, pose their issues and challenges for the families. But thank God there's no shortage of ideal uh, families, yeshiva students that are ready to move in anywhere of Jerusalem. Some areas are more tense than others. Obviously, the Yemenite village um, has had its issues of Molotov cocktails and concrete blocks uh, and stone attacks over the years, but we've noticed uh, a significant drop in any of these attacks the more the Jewish families move in. It's like showing the strength and strength of, of conviction sends a very powerful message, uh, not just to some of the local Arabs, it's not all Arabs involved, but some of the local Arabs, and sends a very powerful message to the Muslim world that we're here and we're here to stay. And by the way, these celebrations from Yerushalayim of Jerusalem Day have effectively already started. Oh, wow. Uh, the fact that we moved to new Jewish uh, families and students, this is a, a Teret Kornim only in Israel, into certain areas in the last few weeks has been very significant. Uh, and even more so, last night, I have to tell you, it was, it was one of the nights that I will never, ever forget. It was a dedication of the synagogue on the Mount of Olives, the jewel in the crown project of Ateret Konim, Ma'ale Azitim, where the world said would never happen. They said that no Jew would ever live on the Mount of Olives. Yasser Arafat said the only Jews he would ever allow in his alquds are those dead Jews from the Mount of Olives. Well, today we have over 120 Jews living on the Mount of Olives, and last night was the dedication of the synagogue complex. By the way, one of the synagogues in the building can still be dedicated, and naming rights are available for that. Looking back to the Temple Mount, something very special. The 
perhaps 67 and 55 years later, in many ways, our families are like the uh, the paratroopers, the pioneers, whether it be the thousand Jews inside Jewish quarter, whether it be the now 41 families in the old Yemenite village of Shiloh, whether it be these 120 families in the Mount of Olives, and also in Kidmatzion, there's going to be a huge march and parade on Sunday. So anyone who's listening and still planning to come to Israel, you can join and hope that we're part of the numbers that's allowed, which is another story altogether, who's allowed to walk through which gate. We all remember how the Arab world threatened uh, the Israeli government if we dare have this march. Let's hope that no one buckles this year and we're still able to walk with our heads up high through the old Jewish quarter, through every one of the gates in the old city, if we are indeed, as we are, the sovereign body of here, this united Jerusalem. Yeah, I say amen to that. And Daniel, it's funny because I think about uh, when I've visited areas that you've just described, including Kidmat Zion and uh, Malaz Tim, and we had the three or five or ten families. It is pretty amazing just how quickly uh, these communities grow. Maybe not as quickly as some people would like, but still looking back, it is pretty remarkable and uh, as you said uh, there's no sh- I, have to, I have to tell I have to tell you I have to tell you Nachum, that uh, as much as I don't want corona to come back the corona years has actually seen and the phenomenal growth in all our areas something we've never seen the years beforehand how can I explain it I can't God has his roadmap all I know is that we've gone from 19 families and yeshiva students to 41 families and a yeshiva and a kollel inside the Yemenite village on the Mount of Olives, in the old city, yeshiva students and families. And this is during the corona period. I don't want corona, but I'm quite happy the way <laughs> things are going. Baruch Hashem. And mind you, something that's happened, we've noticed in the, in the area of known as Shiloh, the Arabs have started to paint huge eyes, massive eyes, 10, 12 meters throughout the whole neighborhood of every single as though that their eyes are the Jews are doing. Their eyes are on the moderate Arabs who want to live in peace side by side. I say one thing. The eyes of Hashem are on the Jewish people 24 hours a day, 354 days of the year, from the beginning of the year to the end. They're the only eyes we should be concerned about. The eyes of Hashem. And his eyes are certainly Kaviyocha larger than any ones you described. Uh, the annual Yom Yerushalayim dinner is coming up, everybody, this coming Wednesday night. Shani Heikind and uh, Daniel Lurie are with us live via telephone. Shani, you've chosen a very interesting guest speaker for Wednesday night. Isn't that something? We are so excited about having the honorable, and boy is he honorable, former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. If anybody understands in his gut that Jerusalem is the united sovereign capital of the of Medina Yisrael, it's this guy from Kansas, Mike Pompeo. <laughs> and it is so important, I want to stress, it is so important, everybody listening, that our community come out to give Mike Pompeo the recognition, the Hakaras Hatov that he deserves for being such a staunch ally for being such a friend and he was with Mati Dan and Daniel in in Yerushalayim on Friday and you know he he understands he gets it so I'm urging everyone I'm going to give you also a uh, a special phone number to call to make reservations or to say I cannot be at the dinner Wednesday night but I want to show support for our amazing families living on the front lines 917 917- Two nine seven two zero seven five nine one seven 
2972075 or what anybody can go to ateretkohanim.org slash dinner and you can make a reservation, make a donation. It's 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 an amazing way to stand by your brothers and sisters. Listen, I'm not living in Yemeni village. You and you're not living there. Nahum, and everybody listening to your program here is not living there. So how do we show, how do we show these families that we, that we believe in what they're doing, that they're, that they're so dedicated, such mysterious nefesh for Torah Yisrael, Am Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael. Well, this is how you can say, I'm with you. We're behind you. You are our brothers and sisters. We care about you. Okay. So. Everybody call that number, 917-297-2075. Go online to ateretkohanim.org slash dinner. Make your reservation, make a donation, and stand by your brothers and sisters who live where most of us would never live. It's uh, this coming Wednesday night, everybody, at Terrace on the Park. Great honorees, wonderful guest speaker, and an amazing opportunity to celebrate Yom Yerushalayim thousands of miles away from Yerushalayim if you can't be in Yerushalayim. Ateretkonim.org slash dinner, 917-297-2075, 917-297-2075. Daniel Luria, have tours picked up? You mentioned COVID and the advantage that, that somehow miraculously uh, things grew in terms of the neighborhoods uh, during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Are you now able to welcome people back to come and tour those areas with you? As much as I loved the virtual tours using Google Earth, there's nothing like walking around the alleyways of the old city, the Mount of Olives, the Yemenite village. Our Shield of Driscoll tour is back running just this week. There's already been three tours. Each one had 15 or 16 people in each of the tours. The hotels are full. The skies are shining. Yerushalayim is pulsating. I'm not saying there are no issues. I'm not saying there aren't some people that want us out of here. But we're here. We're here to stay. Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We are walking around in our heads up high. Work of this organization, Ateret Konim in Israel, backed by, of course, the American friends of Ateret Konim and friends all around the world who actually stand together with Yerushalayim. We know that there are millions, millions of people that want to do that. All you have to do if you're not going to be here, as we've said before, just go to the internet site and stand, as Shani said, with us, in front of us, behind us, where you want to be. But stand together with Yerushalayimateretkonim.org, also slash dinner, whatever you can remember. We need you as part battle to keep Jerusalem in Jewish hands for generations. I'm here. Whenever you come, you give us a call, you give the American office a call, and you will see and you will be astounded and smile when you see how Jerusalem today is being filled with Jewish life and kids on our rooftop playgrounds, on our nurseries. Life has come back to Jerusalem, thank God. Pretty amazing, thank God is right. Again, the dinner gives us an opportunity. Nobody's asking us to live in in any challenging area. No one's asking us to go and uh, grow neighborhoods and communities. All we're asked to do is go to a dinner and celebrate and have some good food and hear some great uh, guest speakers like Mike Pompeo and the honorees for that night. It's happening June 1st. It's coming Wednesday at, at, at Terrace on the Park. Terrace on the Park in Queens. Ateretkonim.org slash dinner. Ateretkonim.org slash dinner or 917 
888-528-2075. Shawnee Hiking, you get the last word. What could you tell us about Wednesday night? What I can tell you is that our dinners are spirited, meaningful, feel-good events. And I want to also say that anybody planning a trip to Israel, either now or during the summer or for Sukkot, you have to go on a tour of a Terat Kohanim. And when you do, when you walk with Daniel in the old city, when you see the, the children playing on our rooftop playgrounds, when you see a nursery with children, Tanainahara, bursting from the seams, you know, when you see Yemenite village and a shul that a Terat Kohanim is renovating that was destroyed by the Arabs, you know, and then was squatted in illegally, and the courts ruled that Jews can return to this Beit Knesset in Yemenite village. Nachum, everybody who sees this and walks with us in the old city will feel proud of being our partners. That's, that's the best thing, the best feeling. You see that you're a partner with this rejuvenation of Jewish life in the heart of our Jerusalem. Because it's not just their Jerusalem, Nachum. It's our Jerusalem, and we have to be their partners. And we have to recognize the miracle of 55 years ago and now see just how different and how incredible and how just how beautiful things are 55 years later. Credit to the one above and to the very hard work of those here on this planet who are dedicated to the, uh, uh, to the growth and the incredible expansion, both uh, physically and spiritually, of the holy city of Jerusalem. Come to the dinner, everyone. Terrace on the Park this Wednesday. It's at org slash dinner. org slash dinner. 917-297-2075. 917-297-2075. Shani Hikind, I thank you very much and wish you good luck with the dinner Wednesday night. Thank you, Nachum, so much for giving this op- opportunity to me and Daniel to speak. And Hatzlacha Rabba to you, Nachum. Much appreciated. And Daniel, best regards to everybody in Yerushalayim. You already said that the Yom Yerushalayim festivities have basically begun already. So enjoy the ones that are going on now and certainly enjoy the ones that are happening Sunday on Yom Yerushalayim. Amen. Thank you, Nachum. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Shalom, shalom. Chag Sameach to everyone. Remember, coming up on a Sunday. We, of course, will do our Yom Yerushalayim commemoration here Monday at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Shani Hyken and Daniel Luria. Rory Weisberg has a brand new book. It's an art scroll cookbook. And it's pretty amazing. We had a great conversation. Here is that conversation on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, there's a brand new groundbreaking cookbook. Comes from our friends at Artscroll. You know the rule when you go to Artscroll.com, always use promo code radio. When you go to Artscroll.com, always use promo code radio. And this is no exception. You're going to look for a book called Food You Love. It's brand new. Food You Love That Loves You Back. Rory Weisberg is the author in this first of its kind cookbook. Rory Weisberg CHC packs in over 200 recipes, nearly all gluten-free, for the food you and your family already love, transformed to love you back. Plus, must-have health info and tried and true shortcuts that knock stress off its feet. The healthy lifestyle you always thought was out of reach, it's yours, and it's more delicious than ever. All because of the book, Food You Love That Loves You Back. Rory Weisberg, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much. It was so fun to hear you read that. 
<laughs> I appreciate it. Well, I mean, you know, I, I've had some level of popularity over the years, but since I announced that you're coming on, all of a sudden my profile has been increased. So really? I, oh, I, that's so nice. Are you kidding? I didn't, I didn't realize what kind of follow you have out there. It's pretty amazing. I'm sure you feel it. And uh, the, the, the book's amazing, over 500 pages and over 200 recipes. And look, I don't mean to be skeptical, but I feel if there's a book that's based on um, – on healthy food practices and healthy eating, etc. I feel like I have to at least, uh, uh, you know, ask you certain questions uh, about the um, about the uh, level of of taste and deliciousness that these recipes potentially could have. We are always under the impression that people like me, who you know like good food, are always under the impression that once it becomes healthier, it becomes more difficult to enjoy. What's your response to that? Okay, so I totally get why everyone thinks that, and I used to feel the same way too. I was not always into health. I did not grow up eating this way. I came into this lifestyle out of necessity. I wasn't feeling well for years. After a lot of research and encouragement from my doctor, um, he recommended trying an autoimmune protocol diet, which removed foods that were inflammatory and incorporated a lot of anti-inflammatory foods. I was horrified at the thought of changing my diet to such a great extent, but I really wanted to feel better, and I decided to give it a two-month trial. After three weeks, I felt a huge, huge difference, and I was very motivated but exactly what you said, like, you know, there's a limited amount of time where you could be eating grilled chicken and salad and boring stuff and feeling like you're serving all this good food to everyone else and you can't eat it. And once I really saw the effect, I said, okay, I need to make this a lifestyle. And I am not a chef, but I've always loved cooking. I come from a, you know, a chain of women who were passionate cooks. Um, and I actually started spending some time on secular food blogs, just learning ingredients to swap out and understanding different cooking methods. And then I really just became a math food, lab, you know, scientist, you know, like my sister's like, you just played in your kitchen lab. I threw out pans and pans of food. Thank God all the people in my house were really on board, but very critical. Thank God it was really to my benefit. And they just didn't let me get away with mediocre. And I was like, mm, it's good, mom. And for me, it was good enough. I, you know, as you, um, as you change your eating, your palate really changes. And in general, I happen to like more mild flavor. But I've got, you know, my, my daughter has such a like spicy, she loves bold flavors, you know, and my son and his friends. I've all, you know, I have a teenage, I had the time, I had a teenage son and he would have friends over all the time. And like, I couldn't get away with eh. And uh, it really forced me to get more and more creative and learn how to really create excellent flavor and texture and taste while just swapping out ingredients. So what's unique about my book is that you'll find recipes and, and dishes, rather, that are very familiar to you. Pulled beef, um, drumettes, hamburgers, chicken liver, capon, beef and broccoli, uh, roasts and briskets and chalent and deli roll and meatballs and potato kugel, latkes, you know, fry, all things that we, we want. But what I did was I figured out with Hashem's help, you know, how to recreate those foods just using better quality ingredients. Right. So 
the food really is delicious. Right. I, but I got to stop you for a second because I think you alluded to this uh, uh, earlier with your comment, but I, I just want to confirm uh, when it comes to poultry, yeah. when it comes to poultry and meat, these adjustments mm-hmm. are a lot easier than when it comes to uh, other types of dishes. I mean, the, the one I have in mind, obviously, is pasta. Uh, but in, in other words, there are right. certain areas of our uh, of our consumption. There are certain areas of our food life uh, where these adjustments are relatively easy. Wouldn't you say that? Where 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 we can, uh, you know, yes, true. And, and and there are others where it's really hard. But you go ahead and you take on the hard stuff because when I turn to page one hundred and forty eight, and I'm looking at macaroni. Uh, which is cauliflower mac and cheese, and I've had cauliflower right. pizza, and I don't know if you have a cauliflower pizza in here, but I, no, but I, I, know. But I, I know. know, but I know there are people who you know go out of their way to make sure to have dishes like that, and they're convinced that it's as good as the quote unquote real thing. Is the macaroni cauliflower mac and cheese something that will resemble real mac and cheese for me? So I'll be, I'll be very honest. Certain things won't resemble it exactly. Like you said, with, with meat, it is easier because you're going to use coconut aminos instead of soy sauce. You're going to use raw honey or like a, you know, apricot, you know, soaked and blended instead of a jam. There's a lot more to do because you still have, you know, meats and chickens are, are they're much easier to take, to, to bring out a wonderful flavor without using the traditional duck sauce and soy sauce and things like that. So that's a very true statement. So when it comes to the protein, it, it is a lot easier. But when it comes to things that incorporate pastas and breads and things like that, desserts. I would never say, and desserts. So, well, desserts, I think, fall into different categories. Right. First, let's talk about, like, pastas right. and dairy dishes. Those you can't exactly mimic, but you can definitely get a close cousin where you feel like you're having that decadent, cheesy, you know, dish, but it isn't going to have exactly that pasta effect. I'll be very honest. Like, there's a dish, um, and there's an eggplant romantini. And people said, oh, wow, does that really taste like uh, lasagna? I'm like, well, not exactly, but it gives you that feel. And for a lot of people who really are motivated to change your lifestyle, that's really right. what they're missing. They, yeah. they want that concept you know it's funny because your honesty is the best part of this because if, if one will if one will face up the way you have will face up to things and it's not going to be exact it's not going to be exactly the way you know we remember it in terms of the old dish uh, but there's a reason there's a motivation why one would want to make this exactly. adjustment then you know of course that becomes a big positive and helps everyone adjust to the new uh the new type of of food that's being uh, uh baked and cooked rory weisberg is with us the book is called food you love that loves you back Go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Um, all right. So you, we alluded to it before. The, uh, so the, the, the fish and dairy dishes and the, uh, and the pasta dishes um, are, are a bit more difficult to make this adjustment. Now, has your whole family made this adjustment? When, when you're, are your children totally into this? Are, are your children's friends aware of what's going on if they dare ask you to prepare something for them in your kitchen? So my, I think everyone's aware of what I've done at this point, <laughs> um, but I will tell you that, um, I, you know, my kids love my food. I have most of my kids really love healthy food. And at this point, my two older children really on their own want to eat this way. I have a son who's almost 22 years old living in Israel and yeshiva, and he does not have a proper kitchen. He bought himself a burner and a smoothie and not for any need. He's a, a healthy boy, feels good. He actually 
prefers healthier food and he cooks for himself. I mean, he'll go out, he'll eat whatever he wants, but he actually appreciates that kind of food. Um, I have one of my children is much more of a particular eater and is not a vegetable fan and definitely will not, doesn't go for my healthier desserts as much. So I don't make it an issue. I make him what he likes. I'll buy him regular rugula for Shabbos. Um, I buy him, you know, whatever he wants. I don't, I do not believe in making it an issue. I think earlier on when I was first learning um, and getting my training, I was more extreme and I was sort of like on a rampage of like, oh my gosh, guys, we were only eating da-da-da-da. And I really thought that that was not a healthy mindset for kids. Um, So I cook the way I cook. Um, My thank God my food is delicious when it comes to meals. Everyone's super, super happy, including company. I have guests over. Um, I usually get fantastic feedback, like the food is delicious, and I usually get calls after shopping and people telling me, like, I actually felt the difference. I was full, but I didn't feel sick. And they could say that. They, they, and, and they're saying that after one afternoon of eating. Because you said earlier that three weeks after you started this regimen, you felt better. Is that a general, I felt better? or And, and not to pry, and you certainly don't have to give any details, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if there was a certain yeah, sure. a condition condition or migraines yeah or- sure no no so um absolutely i and i talk about this in the book um basically i had a very um common condition called postpartum thyroiditis that a lot of women tend to get after pregnancy it's when the thyroid swings from underactive to overactive um and usually it goes away sometimes it lands in one place and then doctors will treat it in my case it did not go away it actually was lingering for five years but the tricky part was when I was in the underactive state, which is very difficult to treat. Um, I was super under. My levels were, like, ridiculously low. But when I was symptomatic of overactive, my numbers were always in normal range. So the doctors really couldn't treat me. So I was just really suffering for five years. And with postpartum thyroiditis and with that swinging of the thyroid, think about it. Your thyroid is your, like, in the t- it, it runs your metabolism, but it's also like the thermometer, so to speak, of the house. Right. So sometimes I would be wired and tired. I couldn't sleep for weeks. Other times I could literally fall asleep on the kitchen floor making dinner. Um, it affected so many parts of my system. My in my boat, my my joints were achy. It really had a horrible effect on my digestive system and sleep. And I just felt cruddy all the time. So in that case, and three it, weeks it later, overnight, and three weeks later, three weeks later, I felt much more regulated. My digestive system improved dramatically. My energy level went up. I the, the achiness in my joints was much more mild, and moving out of going away from completely gone away. Um, and over time, I just felt much, much more energy, and I felt like I was coming back to myself. And Baruch Hashem, the, the, the jumping eventually stopped is and the, stabilized. And is, is the gluten-free the key to it, or that's just part of it? It's part of it. The gluten-free is part of it. Um, it's really incorporating a lot of anti-inflammatory foods. I always tell people that I would say one of the most important um, habits in terms of food is actually, believe it or not, your oils. Um, oils, refined oils, have a really play a really unhealthy role in our bodies. It causes inflammation and oil is in everything we eat from salad dressings to we we cook everything in oil. So when you're using an inflammatory oil, you're constantly causing inflammation in the body. Whereas if you use an anti-inflammatory oil, even if you're cooking the same recipes that include sugar, that include gluten, you're already benefiting your body so much. And And in terms of other, and in terms of other health habits, sleep. I, I could tell you right now that when I 
don't get enough sleep. I can't eat as much variety. I don't feel as well. So I didn't just change my food. I also really put a huge focus on sleep management and really getting to bed early. And I talk about this a lot on my page. I'm a big advocate of really like being responsible about sleep because the way we treat our bodies matter. It really does. And I saw it so clearly. And that means how many hours a night? So I think for most adults, it's seven to eight hours, but it's not necessarily, not all hours are created equal. The earlier part of the night is really the restorative sleep. So I'm a, I'm really constantly talking about shutting down your tra- your technology by 930. I know that sounds like insane, but shutting down by 930, 10 o'clock, winding down without electronics and really getting into bed somewhere between 10 and 11, 1130 latest, because the growth hormone that we produce that actually helps our bodies repair is going to be produced in the hours between 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. only if we're sleeping. So if we're not falling asleep until 12, 1 o'clock, we're getting very minimal of this hormone, whereas the earlier we go to sleep, the more our bodies can repair, and uh, it makes a massive difference. And on so the- I found at a... But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And you found... No, I was just going to say that I that in the beginning, I had actually eliminated much more food. When I first started this diet, I didn't eat any grains. I wasn't eating beans. Like, I was, I was basically eating just, you know, protein, vegetables, fruit, healthy fats, you know, some sweet potatoes, squashes, things like that. But the, over time, because I was working on sleep and stress management and gentle movement, I was able to incorporate more foods and... But any time I've been under more stress, like when I was finishing this book or, get, you know, any time I'm not as on top of my sleep, I do notice that foods that otherwise wouldn't bother me start to bother me. So I just, I think that sleep is something that is so important in uh, healing. On the earlier point, what's a good example of an inflammatory oil and what's a good example of an anti-inflammatory oil? Great question. So the very popular oils are the inflammatory oils, the vegetable oils, the canola oils, the safflower oils. Um, even grapeseed oil, they're refined. Um, avocado oil is sort of that in, in the middle. It's much, much better. It's less refined and it, it, it has more um, anti-inflammatory benefits. But your best bet for oils is extra virgin unrefined olive oil. It's the oil, you know, that we talk about. It's, it's, we talk about it in the Torah. You know, olive oil was the olive was the oil we always used. Similar to we always ate sourdough bread, like when we go back to basics. But um, olive oil, unrefined extra virgin olive oil has so many polyphenols, so many anti-inflammatory benefits to it. Um, Fat has gotten the reputation of fat makes you fat. Actually, fats are super important for our body in countless ways. It's just the type of fat. And that's that's really what I teach about in the book so much is that it's quality. It's it's not about eliminating. It's about swapping better options. Another very healthy fat is uh, unrefined extra virgin coconut oil. Interesting. Um, I mean, the point you're making, I, I just can't, I, I can't stop uh, uh, focusing on it because when you look at your breakfast section, you can have pancakes, muffin, pudding, ice cream, smoothies, etc., and all yeah. all the breads you'd ever want are here. Uh, some of them right. may be grain free, right. some of them may be made with spelt. Uh, obviously, many of them gluten free. Um, all the soups you would want, the fish and dairy dishes, even the dips and salads, which have become such an important part of uh, of of the Jewish lifestyle these days, especially on Shabbos. Uh-huh. You, You've got a whole bunch um, the, yep. be, between the uh, chimchurri and the matbucha and the olive dip and the, and the hearts of palm dip and so many and the guacamole. It, it looks like there's nothing missing from the basic no. diet of a kosher family here. 
I, I That's wa- exactly what I wanted to show. Yeah, I wonder, by the way, it, it always seems mm-hmm. to me that when it comes to food, because we're so traditional and we have such a heritage and every family has their own uh, lineage when it comes to, to food items, especially Shabbos and Yontif. I wonder if our community responds to these types of changes at a much slower pace than others. Are we now catching up to the general community yeah. when it comes to this type of healthy eating as opposed to being trailblazers? Yeah, I mean, we're for sure not trailblazers, that's for sure. (laughs) But I can tell you that I've been on this journey for about 15 years. Um, Before I even had the thyroiditis, I I definitely always had a sensitive stomach. So I I learned about gluten-free. I've been gluten-free for 16 years. I didn't know anything about the effects of corn and soy and refined oils. That was all things that I learned later on. But when I went just plain old gluten-free and I knew no better than to just, okay, great, there I'll just eat tapioca rolls and I'll just eat, you know, potato starch matzah, great, it's gluten-free. Um, there was almost nothing on in the kosher market. So there, the, the, the kosher world has evolved tremendously. There's much, much more awareness. Um, and I, But I do think that something that I, I, I definitely wanted to make sure that I mentioned on this call that I, I think it relates to this question, but I think it's so important. I really believe in going slow. Um, and I think that people are very overwhelmed and intimidated by the thought of changing their diet this book is not meant to be like a, a guide in the sense of do this and just completely change your life. For people who are celiac or meta, have metabolic issues or diabetes, this book is literally can be that for them it can be a guide. And I, I just had a woman message me the other day. She's like, my husband's diabetic. I have PCOS. She goes, this is the Bible. Like this book is going to be our go-to. Like this has changed our life. And I'm so grateful to be able to help those people and I wanted to be that person because I, I just kept saying, had I had this book seven, eight years ago, and someone would have said, here, that's it. I would have been like, wow, this is so doable. So I want to be that for other people. But for people who aren't symptomatic and who don't have these major issues, I think so many of us today understand that the way we t- treat our bodies matters. And I think all of us, you know, we know it's better to eat healthy. It just feels so unattainable. Yeah. So the goal of this book for everyone else is to show you how to implement to just create a little bit more balance and options. So make your regular food menu, have your cheesecake, have your pasta, have whatever else you're going to make. But you know what? Throw in one a couple of salads, try a fish, try a vegetable side dish, maybe make my cheesecake and another cheesecake and, and see how your family responds to it. The other thing I would mention is don't make speeches. When a mother gets to walk, you know, brings a dish to her Shabbos table and she goes, guys, this is cauliflower fartful. What do you think her kids are going to say? Like, ew, right? But if she just serves it along with everything else she normally serves, you want to serve your election kugel and your potato kugel and your apple kugel and your ba 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 and also serve this and just be quiet. Just put it on the table and you might be surprised the people that try it and don't even know it's cauliflower. It's like it's the one, one which one of the few vegetable side dishes that my son, who's like doesn't like vegetables, he loves it. It just it has a great flavor, and he does. I don't, you know, we don't speak about the fact that it's cauliflower. It's just one of the things that are on the table. Right. So I, I think it's just to create balance. I'm amazed at how many teenagers, those in their twenties uh, as well, in our community are. are 
are respond are not just responding but are taking on this whole gluten free approach are responding yeah. to it and are and are declaring how much better they feel now frankly you know people who are in their twenties <laughs> as far as I remember from years ago you know you always feel pretty good I mean after all you're at the peak of your physical right. physical strength and yet they say to me that uh, you know so many things that they felt they had or burdens that they had health wise have been eased by this move does that surprise you mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't because, and I've explained this to my dad, he's also like, well, what happened to gluten? When I was growing up, there was no such thing as a problem with gluten. Right. So, but here's the thing. Our food supply has dramatically changed in the last, like, 15 years. Basically, all flour in this country is genetic, or unless it's organic, is genetically modified. Um, Our, the the food supply has been so refined and changed that our bodies are really responding. Also, we eat so much more processed food today than we ever did. And I think our bodies are really, really responding. Like I know all of the flowers, most, most of the flour that I get um, with the exception of one um, is, is from out of the country because I find that there's, the pesticides and the chemicals that are allowed in the F- under FDA are legal in other illegal in other countries. So they're actually banned. So certain chemicals that are in our processed food, other countries consider them poison, like illegal. So I think that that's also what just it's the it's the amount of uh, tampering that our food supply has had and the load that we're having. Wow. So, yeah, people are seeing a big difference. Is that what prompted you to uh, essentially found your own line of, of flour and, uh, and accessories? So, for me, it was really, um, there was there was a, a lack. You know, I found that, you know, when they, like you said, bread, bread, um, meats, side dishes, even the desserts. I could work with almond flour. I learned how to work with nut butters, fruits, you know, honey, things like that. I could do those things. But bread is a huge staple of life, but just a huge staple in our lives as Jews. So for the first six months that I was doing this, I actually did not wash. I spoke to my Rav. He said, you know, just don't wash right now. So I didn't. And I actually really felt so bad not washing. Like I missed benching. I actually went through a period of time where I would just read it in English. <laughs> so it just felt so weird not washing at the Shabbos table. And then what's very interesting is, um, you know, I, I couldn't find a, a gluten-free bread I could eat because they all had sugar and they were full of starches. Even like tapioca starch and potato starch would not agree with me and doesn't agree with a lot of people with digestive issues. Um, and so I, and the masa is like, oof, so gross. So <laughs> I, um, I actually got a, a recipe from a neighbor who sent her husband was celiac. I tried it. No one really liked it. It was like, eh, very dense. And I just, I was determined, I, and I, I literally probably played with that recipe for, I don't know, 30 attempts, just changing it and trying different flours and researching. Um, and what I realized was sifting the flour really helped different ratios, mixing the flour before adding the wet ingredients. I got it down to, you know, Baruch Hashem, a great recipe. One week I came to the Shabbos table and my family, they were so involved in this entire process. They are my taste testers and my biggest critics and fans. <laughs> and they were like, Ma, this is awesome. Like my son took it to Yeshiva and his friends were like, what, this is just great bread. And we were like, okay, we have a winner. Um, at that point I was coaching. I just started and um, a number of my clients are give the recipe to them and they're like, you're not. Like, there's no way I'm sifting seven ingredients, then mixing it, then adding, like, no. And um, actually, a very good friend of mine, Dini, um, who's like a wig 
what makes a lot of wigs her husband has celiac. She's a very busy working woman, and she said, Lori, do me a favor. Make me the blend, and then I'll make the challah at home. I want to make my own challah, but just make me the blend. And she told other people, word spread, and I started making 10 bags in my dining room table. Then it turned to, like, 50, 70, 100. Once I was making over 100 bags, I was like, I need to stop. Like, this is out of control. And that's how I, Bar Hashem, Hashem led me to the company, the, 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 you know, the company that ended up becoming my manufacturer and figuring that whole piece out. Um, and then they were manufactured and sold in stores. And it just evolved over time. I realized that there were people that gluten-free bread was great, but the carb load, let's say people with diabetes or metabolic issues, they needed a lower carb option. And that's how I came up with the low carb and then the grain-free and then the Pesach blend and then learning about sourdough. So my goal, I, I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all for anything, for sure not for bread, for sure not. You know, we all have to really implement what works for us. And that's why I have, you know, four different bread mixes that each can be made, you know, multiple ways for different dietary needs. Pretty so, amazing. Yeah, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. Sure sounds like it. Rory Weisberg is with us. The book is called Food You Love That Loves You Back. Go to com. Make sure to use promo code radio for your discount and, of course, free shipping. Make sure to use promo code radio at artscroll.com. Are you a, um, uh, would your family say you're, you're, you're great to be out with at dinner or not great to be out with at dinner? <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you eat when you're oh, outside? Great, what, what do you eat when you're outside That's the house? Yeah, no, I, so I've gotten classier about it. I used to like grill the waiter in front of people and they go, ah, my family hates it. No, I learned, I learned how to order out. You know, I definitely find that, you know, I've become a pachach. I can't eat in the cheaper restaurants, like being cheaper in the sense of when the food costs less, there's right. a reason. Right. Um, I recently, about six months ago or so, I went out with my kids. We went to like one of these burger kind of places and I got grilled chicken. I literally was like, felt like I was being stabbed <laughs> the rest of the night, like so much pain. Um, you know, thank God, like I'm fine the next day, but, or two days later, but, um, so I, I, I tend to only do well with like better quality restaurants. Most of them are using better oils. I find for me the oil will bother me even if I'm getting, let's say, chicken or vegetables and salads. Um, I'm finding, and again, some of the better restaurants will offer things like quinoa or sweet potatoes, but typically it's limiting. Um, I'll get protein and vegetables for the most part. It's not my favorite thing to do. I'd much rather you know, go on a hike or go bowling or go out, you know, and do something else. Like I'm going to the Each Every Boat concert this week because that's like a fun way to go out and have fun with people in my life. I'll go out, but it's, I do find there are some restaurants that are, you know, offering better, um, healthier options. Also, I teamed up with Hava Java here in Muncie because this was such a, it was such a loss to not be able to just go out and enjoy and feel good when you leave. Um, so we actually created a parallel menu in Have a Job. We've got about, I don't know, 25, 30 Rory recommended dishes. All my recipes, you can find most of them in the book. And they actually serve them there made exactly the way that I make them at home. Huh, and that has been a game changer. The, <laughs> yeah, list, the, really list, the list on page 14 of stuff you need in your kitchen, is this unique to you or this would be, th- this could be in any cookbook in terms of the, uh, the different items and the different, um, uh, uh, you know, accessories that one needs in order to, to, to start cooking. Right. Thank you. Great question. So actually, this was a really important resource in the book. There's a few really important resources in the beginning. So, you know, the basic things like, you know, glass pots, pans, and mixers, those things I basically just listed 
because I find them to be important tools. But when it comes to the ingredients on page 16, uh, 15 through 17, that's really unique to this book, and that can be a really big game changer. If someone given me this list, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, this is gold. Like, this is seriously, like, telling you how to turn your, you know, revamp your kitchen so you have the tools you need. There's also a QR code on page 17 um, where you can literally watch me in the grocery store showing you how to pick out the best squash, what a jicama is versus a rutabaga versus a kohlrabi, like things, vegetables, people don't even know what they are. So I introduce them to you how to read food labels, what to swap with what. So that, that's, there's a really great, you know, tools in there. Um, the next section on page 20, I call macros and menus. And in there, I share the importance understanding your macronutrients, different different food groups, and how to combine them for what I call the full effect. Um, a lot of times when people are changing their diet to eat healthier, one of the biggest complaints I hear constantly is I'm constantly hungry, like I'm right. not full. Right. And we're called full and free, right? The feel full yeah. with ingredients, free from ingredients that don't support your health. So there's a huge focus here on learning how to eat the healthy foods in the right combinations to actually feel satisfied. Um, and then once you learn that information, I actually give you menu planning ideas on how to build those macro meals. That's what I call them. Um, and there's Yemkis menu planning and Pesach menu planning. And there's also a QR code on page 21 where I show you in my kitchen how to turn your fridge into a pantry where I literally show you like all these different like little time saving tricks and hacks that I've accumulated over the years just to make it more doable because it is a lot of work. That, that I can't deny. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, there's no rice in the book, right? There's no rice. No, there is. Rice I incorporate. I do incorporate all the gluten-free grains like gluten-free oats, rice, quinoa, buckwheat, um, all of the starchy vegetables. And what's interesting, in the in the starch section in the sides, um, I actually put the recipes in the order of lower glycemic starches to higher glycemic starches. So for people who do have metabolic sensitivities or issues, diabetes, whatnot, they can, you know, follow along with the earlier recipes. Like that'll be a lower, a lower carb, so to speak, lower glycemic starch to higher glycemic. So potato dishes, sweet potato dishes. All right. So celery root rice is not a replacement for rice. It is simply an enhanced or a different type of rice. So celery root rice is definitely doesn't have the same flavor as rice, but it gives you a similar feel. One of the things that people really um, feel limited when they change their diet, especially if they have a diabetic issue or blood sugar issue, is they, they feel the loss of having that three components on a plate, right. you know, like a full plate look. Uh-huh. So if let's say it's Shabbos and you're having your bread, so for anyone who is sensitive to carb load, um, which is a lot of the clientele I work with. I really specialize in, in people with metabolic issues, from with PCOS and diabetes and whatnot. Um, if they're having their challah, even if it's their gluten-free or their sourdough or whatever, it's really too much of a carb load for them to also then have rice or potato kugel. I want to teach them how they can have that full plate look with just incorporating different vegetables, but like it's boring to just have green and green. So there are so many options in there where you can make a beautiful plate. So you have like your protein and then you have like the celery, right? And string beans, carrots, and wax beans, or you can have what I call my cabbage confetti with a side of broccolini. You have that feel and that texture variation and color variation that makes you 
feel like you're having that full meal like everyone else. So there's a, there's a lot of that in the book too. And again, it's it's personal. That's a, that's not yeah. a necessity for everybody. You have a gluten and grain-free Shabbos lunch, which includes gluten-free chalent, grain-free chalent, a deli roll, butternut kishka, grain-free kishka, a mini grain-free chalent add-on. And it's and, and based on what you write here, uh, you, you're you're sticking to your guns in terms of uh, the guests would not even know that these are grain-free mm-hmm. or gluten-free, correct? Yeah. So it was funny. We were we were in a meeting in my son's yeshiva this week, and the rabbi says, uh, you know, he talks about the book, yeah. He goes, that, that gluten-free chalet, so that, that healthy chalet, it really tastes as good. So I turn to my husband, he goes, what's the healthy chalet? I'm like, the chalets I make every week. He goes, oh, yeah, you'd never know the difference. So it's really cute. The grain-free one, yes, it doesn't. It, again, it's similar to what we said about the macaroni. It's going to give you that chalet feel, but it's completely vegetables and protein. Right. So gluten-free, you make it, no one would know the difference. Pretty amazing. Uh, you know, you do give credit, as many uh, cookbook authors do, to the prior generations who, uh, I guess, helped you, you know, in the kitchen or certainly got you into the... Yeah. Uh, but I, I would I would bet that, that prior generations in your family and most families did not cook like this. And, yeah. and, and that you had to make a lot of adjustments, especially if you're crediting, as I see you do with some of them, crediting some of the recipes to your grandmother. Would she recognize the, mm-hmm. the, the, would she recognize the dish as you've adjusted it? Um, they look very similar. She she gets a kick out of me. She really does send her. She's alive, Baruch Hashem, and well. And I went to go visit her. I brought her a book before it was out in the stores, and I showed her her recipes. So, you know, let's say, for example, her chocolate mousse. It looks exactly the same as her chocolate mousse, but instead of margarine, I used unrefined coconut oil. Instead of 45% chocolate, I'm using 72. Instead of a cup of white sugar, I'm using a quarter to a half a cup of coconut sugar. And it was just getting the technique right to make it work. And it's beyond decadent and delicious. It's actually my favorite thing in the entire book. Um, So, yeah, it's like taking her inspiration and saying that was something we all loved. Here's a recipe that's got a lot of things that I don't want to eat, but I miss this food. How can I make it work? And that went on in many, you know, for many of the recipes. It was just figuring out how to take the same traditional favorite and making it with ingredients I love my body back. Well, it's pretty amazing. The list is incredible. Usually we spend more time on the specific recipes, but I think people are getting the idea here that this is not just a recipe book. It's an entire concept and a life-changing experience. In fact, folks, you can get more information at fullandfree.com, full and the letter N, free.com. Again, fullandfree.com. And all the products that we mentioned or at least alluded to, including that flour blend, are available there on the website. Plus, of course, uh, the brand-new book is uh, on the Artsgirl website. Go to artsgirl.com. Make sure to use promo code RADIO. Rory Weisberg's brand new one is entitled Food You Love That Loves You Back. Food You Love That Loves You Back. And and Rory, if someone's serious about this, you would say to them, give it how much time? Like, if you're really serious about this and you're ready to make the changes slowly, as you suggested, mm-hmm. you would say to them, don't get frustrated because the first how many days or weeks will be a, a little bit of a challenge. So I would say the first three days, you're not going to be happy. <laughs> like You're going to feel hungrier. You're going to, your, your cravings are still the same. So what I recommend is just allow yourself to eat more. Just eat the right, eat not the right, but just eat more, more of these foods. If you need to eat six meals a day because you're just so hungry, go for it. As time goes on, your hormones will adjust and your hunger level will stabilize and your cravings will diminish. 
so you'll see that you'll, I mean, I've seen it over and over. You'll, you'll definitely, um, by day five, you should start feeling like a big decrease in cravings. By 10 days, most people start to really see some changes and improvements. I would say by three weeks, you should be seeing significant change. And by six weeks is when people start to say, oh, my gosh, like, I really am feeling a difference. Frankly, that's not a lot of time. If you, I mean, in the scheme of things, it's a, it's a pretty reasonable amount. Yeah. It's not like you're waiting a year yeah, to see a difference. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing. I will tell you, though, that, you know, th- th- I've been trying to create a toolbox for a while. You know, I was coaching clients for years and feeling like there was so was so much to teach and there was so much to share that I was it was so much work to work with each person. And for the last year and a half, I stopped coaching to really focus on building tools. So you know, my products are definitely helpful to people. But creating this book and all the resources in this book and updating my website and sharing more information there has been a very, that was like the foundation step. But my next project to really help people make it a lifestyle, I'm working on now creating courses, very affordable, you know, really just where I'm teaching the foundation and understanding the science behind what I'm teaching. So I'm not just telling you what to do. You're going to understand it and a lot more how to. Um, so I'm hoping that those courses will be available somewhere between, you know, early winter, like Hanukkah time, if not before. Um, and I think that that can really help people um, incorporate changes slowly. And, and once I have all that said, I'm, I would, I really hope to get back into coaching because that's really what I love to do the most is to really work with an individual and really help them make those changes. Um, and, and make them slowly because, you know, slow and steady wins the race. That's, that's what I've seen over and over. I can only imagine. And it must be an amazing feeling when you see someone succeed at this. I can only imagine. Uh, li- living full and free with Rory. The book is called Food You Love That Loves You Back. Art Scroll's got it. Go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Congratulations, Rory Weisberg, on the book. Really Thank interesting you. interesting conversation because uh, the the entire, uh, I, I guess we call it industry uh, that you've created, the uh, all the awareness that you've brought to the community, all the uh, uh, incredible suggestions you have for people are, are life-changing suggestions and uh, can really help people feel a lot better. And what's better than waking up in the morning and just feeling good you know what i mean <laughs> that's a i really hope so that's that's really i just want to give back you know i didn't say it in the very beginning but when i was really really not feeling well at one point i remember just i made a i, I made a promise to hashem i said you know hashem if you help me feel better i will devote my life to helping others and really this is all my way of just saying thank you Tashem, because it's, it's such a gift and i know without a shadow of a doubt there is no way i could have come up with my flour blends or even these recipes. Sometimes I say to my husband, I feel Hashem with me in the kitchen. Like what made me think to do that? So it's really been an amazing journey. And I just, I'm I'm so happy to help people. It just, it, it never gets old when I meet someone in the grocery store or I get a message from someone and they tell me how much it helps them. I am truly overjoyed every time. Amazing. (laughs) Congratulations. Mazel Tov on the book. A pleasure speaking to you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. It's so nice to speak to you. Have a wonderful day. Rory Weisberg, everybody. Check out the book, Food You Love That Loves You Back. Go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio, and thanks for tuning in to JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rory Weisberg. Thanks so much for tuning in. More coming up if you keep it on NSN, the Nahum Siegel Network.